0: Welcome to the New Books Network. MIT Press and Kat Mustatea have released a first-of-its-kind book from a university press titled Voidopolis. Voidopolis uses AR, or augmented reality, to decipher images from its pages using an app on your phone or tablet. Mustatea's book not only provides a new reality for its readers— but the story itself decays over time in augmented reality, leaving you to decipher what was there. Every year, the story resets. Thank you for joining us on the New Books Network. I am your host, Nathan Moore. With us today is the author of Voidopolis, Kat Mustatea. Hello. Hi. Tell the New Books Network more about how your journey led you to writing Voidopolis and in creating its AR element.
1: Yeah, of course. I I think maybe I should explain a little bit about what the book is like or how it works, uh, and then, then that will help answer your question. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, the, the, the book works by um, the printed pages are gar- garbled um, in a beautiful way. The imagery is kind of hard to decipher and uh, the text has is also kind of garbled and you see only the remnants. Um, and the way to read the book is through an AR app uh, where you can access it on your phone or tablet, and, um, but only for a time because the components inside the app start to decay. And so after a time your book becomes unintelligible or the app doesn't work anymore and you're left with this unintelligible object um and then uh and that happens over the course of, of some months and then it every year on July 1st the book resets so yeah you can start over and have access to it again before it begins its decay cycle all over again now i guess the operative question is why do this? You know, why create a book that does that? Uh, why work so hard to do a to, to do the story, to write the story, and to create the imagery if you are going to kind of make them so hard to access? Um, but the answer is that uh, this entire project is maybe less a book book and more of a a kind of artistic it's a it's a performative object it's a it's an object that enacts loss because at its core the story is also about loss um i started writing it uh originally on instagram actually um in on july 1st of 2020 which was the height of the pandemic in new york city so the impetus for writing the story was that I was experiencing, along with everyone else, the shock of living through, living in New York City in a pandemic. And so the story retells Dante's Inferno as if I'm wandering in the streets of New York in a pandemic. Um, the instead of the the guide Virgil, uh, as in Dante's poem. Uh, My guide is a um, a rather sarcastic hobo named Nikita. And I set out to, to kind of try to capture this sense of, things disappearing uh, not only in in New York City which was an epicenter of the pandemic um, people were literally disappearing like there was no one on the street anymore Times Square empty it out but also um, also the um, the just daily life felt like it had disappeared though there, there was literally loss everywhere and um, I, I think the that was the impetus. And so how I arrived at this augmented reality format was also trying to figure out a way to make augmented reality, which is is a kind of additive layer. You're literally adding on a layer to reality. How to make this piece of technology also about loss. And the thought of doing an augmented reality book was a little bit also to capture this this narrative as it had to kind of echo the fact that it, the, the story had started on Instagram. So it had a, a digital origin. There's that. that that's, that's my long answer for you.
0: <laughs> Great. Um, how have reviews been on your book? And what did you like or disagree with most? Um, what has the response been?
1: this project hasn't been widely reviewed and i suspect one of the reasons is that people who might normally review uh adventurous literature aren't quite sure what to do with the artistic the 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 art object hood of a project like this and then people who would normally be reviewing art aren't quite sure what to do with the bookness of this thing so Uh, I think uh, I would love for someone who who has one foot in literature and one foot in art to, to engage
0: with a review. And when it comes to people that you worked with, who was most influential for you in getting the technology and software working?
1: Well, uh, of course, I have collaborators. Um, the actual app was built by Dot Dot Studio, who are um, uh, fantastic technologists. Um, and then I collaborated with uh, on on the 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 way that both the imagery and the text decay is via. Um, a, a bespoke algorithm. And I collaborated with a Vienna-based uh, studio called Process Studio um, to, to, to create that milky, foggy um, decay of the imagery, which is meant to evoke the way that memory works um, and blends things softly away.
0: So you're a playwright. Um, what have you done to integrate AI software into your theatrical musicals or productions, if you have at all?
1: Um, I haven't. Uh, I, I find AI specifically very performative. Uh, I even gave an entire TED Talk about uh, how AI is very much... Um, Functions very much the way puppets do, uh, so feel free to look that up. Um, I do often incorporate cutting edge technology into my live performance work. Um, how have I specifically used AI? I don't know, but um, I've often done, for example, I did a augmented reality um, drama called Lizardly, which involved um both live performers and digital avatars
0: how then would you categorize your work in an academic sense
1: well like i said I, I think of it as a performative object i think it's unclassifiable um, status between literature and art as an and an art object is is probably the most um, important thing about it.
0: Why Dante's Inferno?
1: Uh, Well, (laughs) I I have to say that at the time that I was experiencing the pandemic in New York in 2020, what I was experiencing was so shocking. Um, The very few people really understood what the virus was. Um, And we were all in this giant upheaval of our lives from one day to the next. We were all, we stopped our daily life and all sat in our apartments. Um, So why Dante's Inferno? It felt very much like that period uh, was hell. (laughs) And so I was... I think trying to um, trying to connect to this previous author um, whose work has so resonated across the ages, and who also uh, wrote about experiencing this, you know, um, horrible ordeal. And so I felt like Dante's Inferno was a way, a kind of guardra- guardrail for, for how to write oneself through and w- with a, a cataclysmic event.
0: Okay, so we have Dante's Inferno, and then we have George's Perex, A Void. Who else inspired you, and what more can you say about the works that I just mentioned?
1: Well, uh, so yeah, I, uh, the connection to Dante for sure. George Perec's *Avoid*. Um, I think the most resonant thing about that work for me. So it's a it's a book written entirely without the letter without words that contain the letter e, and *Voidopolis* is likewise composed with text only with words that do not contain the letter E. you will not find a single E in the entire manuscript until the very last entry, which is all E's. Um, So it's not only, Georges Parekh was not only um, uh, an inspiration because of the format that he, of this unusual format of uh, constrained writing, but he's also an inspiration because he, you know, his, he wrote this, the novel in the late 1960s. Uh, Both his parents uh, had perished during World War II. One of his parents was Jewish. And um, he found a way of writing without the letter E as a, as a way of talking about this insurmountable loss that he had experienced. And I, I felt some kinship to to that to to the way that he had mm, used this kind of absence of a letter to say something about loss Um, but and who else has inspired me i i would say you know um if we're looking at art um i i feel a lot of kinship to an artist like banksy who is mm, you know he's his body of work is mostly at least the early body of work is based in graffiti he's he's something of a prankster um I think likewise what I'm doing and what I did was to kind of take pieces of technology like social media and and misuse them you know you're not really supposed to um use social media for these literary narrative projects like I did and I instead I inverted the use how uh, I I inverted how uh, I used augmented reality instead of making it additive. I made it subtractive. Um, So I I feel some kinship with the idea of uh, being a bit of a prankster, um, kind of misusing technology, um, being playful.
0: Instagram what was the importance of Instagram? Are any of the images still up?
1: Right. So the why Instagram is a great question. It was really the, it was the, my, my main social media channel. So it seemed like, it it seemed natural. I wanted, I wanted a, A way of telling a story that was going to be very immediate you know I didn't want to wait years and years to publish something (laughs) although (laughs) in the end I did publish a book Um, but at the time I, I wanted something really immediate and at hand so I it was since I had already been using Instagram quite a lot it was a natural uh, thing to do. Um, because of the idea of loss being embedded in how I told the story, the whole thing, when I even started on on Instagram, was that I was going to delete the entire story once I was done. So, Voidopolis was deleted off of Instagram, and um, I also deleted everything before even starting Voidopolis on my Instagram account. I had, I deleted seven years worth of my posts to make way for Voidopolis and then subsequently deleted Voidopolis as well. Um, now on my Instagram account is a, um, I would call it a follow up to Voidopolis um, called Ambivaland. Um, just like Voidopolis traces Dante's Inferno, Ambivaland is tracing um, Dante's uh, purgatory.
0: Can you tell the New Books Network more about Olipo? You went over it before.
1: Yeah, so Olipo was a literary movement of the 60s. Um, it included a number of authors, uh, among them George Porek. I would say he's maybe one of the the more well-known figures, Um, that entire movement was based in the idea of creating literary constraints or composing with constraints, um, composing literature specifically with constraint. Um, So deciding to write an entire novel without the letter E is a great example of that. Um, and uh, I, I find constraints fantastic. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I love, I find constraints are a way of being uh, incredibly creative. Um, so they, that group and that movement has always been very inspiring. Although I shouldn't talk about it entirely in the past, I do think that there's a kind of modern day uh, set of Ulipians out, out there
0: Where did the images for Voidopolis come from? Did you take the photos?
1: I did not. In fact, I, I I found stock photos of New York City, and then I would take those stock photos that were in the public domain, and uh, I would um, I would modify them. I would wipe away the f- the figures from from the images using, and again, misusing, some of the tools for editing um, images.
0: GPT-2, did that generate text for you?
1: Uh, Yeah, I used it as a tool. Um, I didn't use it directly, so again, I misused something that uh, was out there Gpt I took Gpt two and um, kind of futzed with it and got it to generate words that don't contain the letter e <laughs> I basically by adding an additional kind of uh, set of coding uh, set of software on top of it and uh, by doing that um i would I would generate large bodies of of text that had this constraint of no ease. So I would then take that material and there was a lot of me then composing with that generated material. So I would say I used it as a tool in the composition process, but I'm very much still the author of the text.
0: New York City is magnificent. But were you ever thinking about other cities to make your vision a reality for Voidopolis? Where else could you have completed these ideas? I know you live in NYC.
1: I do, and that seemed important. The, the setting was actually really important. Um, it wasn't only, oh, I'm living in New York City, let me set it in the city in which I live. Uh, that, that was a factor, of course, that sense of the personal connection to this uh, city that I saw experiencing this harrowing ordeal of, of the pandemic. But also, the thing is that, you know, everyone in the world experienced the pandemic, eventually, but New York was... Among the very first epicenters where this happened, and by being among the first epicenters, New York felt um, uniquely cursed at the time. You know, there had been the the virus in in Wuhan and in China, and then it had spread to northern Italy, and then New York was was the only the third um, real epicenter worldwide. And, and so there was a lot of lack of knowledge even with what we were dealing with. There was this enormous shock um, when it spread, when the virus eventually spread to other parts of the country and the world. There was also time to learn more about what the virus was and what we were dealing with. but. In New York, we didn't have that luxury at the time. And so I I think part of what made it uniquely a hellish experience and worth describing uh, and writing about was the fact that it was, um, it it was experiencing a, a, a real shock.
0: Where did you get the motif or figure of Nikita the hobo? What happens to this person?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I i mean, you know, Nikita is my is a kind of creation. I uh, I I feel very affectionate toward this character. Um, he's quite important t- to me, I, but I couldn't I'm not sure I could tell you exactly where <laughs> where he came from. Um, However, I you know, I, I did need I did feel that if I'm going to retell the Inferno, I, I wanted to use um, Dante's narrative as a kind of template and Dante's moving through hell, uh, guided by the poet Virgil. And I felt like likewise, my project was a project about, you know, using literature to describe a harrowing ordeal. And I, not only did I want a guide, but I wanted the guide to be a poet guide, uh, to be high-minded and um, to have certain ideals. But I also felt that my guide needed to be a little bit thornier, a little bit less successful, (laughs) a little bit uh, more on the margins of society, um, maybe deliberately so. And so somehow, intuitively, I got to, I got to this rather sarcastic uh, uh, character.
0: Voidopolis is an augmented reality book, but what about adapting Voidopolis to another medium? Would you be willing to write a theater production based on it? How would any of that make sense?
1: No, it's an interesting question. Um, it might not even make sense, right? Um, the I think what's specific to this book is that its format carries some of its meaning. So the meaning is conveyed not only in the story but in the form in which it's being presented. So, um, so it feels as if maybe voidopolis could be um, made you know vivid in a couple of different formats one of them was this instagram format and the other is this augmented reality book perhaps there's a couple more formats in which it would make sense but i don't know that it would make sense in every format so probably i would roll out a theater production i mm, I would have to think about it, but it like uh, a reasoning for why it need, would need to be a, a play hasn't yet occurred to me.
0: Dante's Inferno. I'm pretty sure that there are three parts to his Divine Comedy. I like the Paradiso more than the Inferno or Purgatorio. Do you include those other sections?
1: Um, yeah, so I, I'm I'm curious why <laughs> why um, Paradiso. Of course, everyone is uh, has their favorite. Um, most of the people I've ever talked to about the Inferno, I mean, of, of the Divine Comedy, love the Inferno the most. It's the weirdest, for sure. <laughs> um, so as I mentioned, the Voidopolis only really charts the equivalent of the Inferno, Um, I'm currently working on what would be the equivalent of the purgatory. Um, Now, is there going to be a third narrative that would be paradise? Mm. Don't know, don't know yet.
0: You write that you purposefully removed humans from the images. But what about other inanimate objects or animals? Would say a house cat be removed from the images?
1: So initially when I started kind of um, doing these, you know, I I call it wiping of the the photographs. I was using a tool that, uh, I don't know if you've ever used this tool in like Photoshop or, um, there's a lot of apps that have it as well, where if somebody photobombs your 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 pho- perfect picture of a sunset, you can like draw a little line around them and have them be removed and the, the app will like uh, fill in the details. So that's the kind of uh, tool that I was using. And what happens is if you take a photo of a person and remove the person, it doesn't like it it isn't necessarily a very interesting, it's not a way to speak about absence unless there's something in the photo that suggests that a person was there and visually suggests that they've been removed. Then you understand that there's an absence. So what I initially did was um, pick photographs where there would be, for example, a shadow that the person was casting or maybe they're holding an umbrella And that what would happen then is, of course, if you're removing the person, you have this like umbrella in midair, you know, and and that was the visual joke. Now about other creatures, um, I I don't remember, but I don't think other creatures uh, 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 appear, if I remember, in any of the images. But if they were, I probably would have left them or maybe, you know. Yeah, I mean, it can be very... I I have an artist friend who also kind of removes people from photographs and uh, he'll leave like a dog with a leash and the leash will be like held in midair because he's removed the person holding the leash and it's quite funny.
0: (laughs) Do you focus on the difference between... The interior or inside spaces versus outside <clears throat> versus outside or exterior locations.
1: Oh, um, yeah, interesting. I I don't know that. I think there's imagery for both from both interiors and exteriors. Um, I tended to be attracted to, you know, what one might call liminal spaces. So places of transience, like um, a public square, or um, an elevator, or a stairwell. Um, I think there are a few deliberate interiors, however, as well.
0: What about an art museum? Some of the photos in your book look like they could have been uh, put inside some kind of display. You wrote about, or you mentioned in our interview here about Banksy. Um, is that possible, even as distorted as they seem?
1: Yeah, I mean this project has been shown all over the world, <laughs> and in visual arts contexts as well. Um, I have exhibited uh prototype versions of the book, so like sort of larger format. Of the same book, uh, made for display purposes. Um, so I've I've ex- I have um, exhibited this project as an art object in a in a, a number of ways in the last three years. Yes.
0: Ariel Saber, her afterward about collective forgetting and the drive to remember, really was a sticking point. Um, What does memory mean for you in Voidopolis?
1: I think what seemed important wasn't to very specifically document every aspect of what was happening uh, during this period, um, but to figure out how to leave a trace. So I, I would say memory for me is a kind of trace making. So even though even though the book is indecipherable, its pages are not blank. And those images, as you pointed out, are, um, yeah, they're, they're deliberately beautiful, even though they're not intelligible, right? I, we took great care to create imagery that would be beautiful, even when it is mm, clouded, clouded over.
0: Can we disassociate the COVID pandemic from Voidopolis or is that impossible given the circumstances of the time? What if you made Voidopolis today? How would it look?
1: You know, that's an interesting question. I think I I wouldn't be making Voidopolis today, right? It, I felt like it was a narrative for for that moment. Um so the impulse to tell that story was a, an impulse during that particular time. But I don't necessarily think that the outcome, this disappearing book, is, um, is really about the pandemic or about COVID-19. I I think the way that this book functions in the world now in 2023 is as a kind of parable for living through cataclysm, and um, it isn't necessarily important to its meaning that the cataclysm was the pandemic. It can be really any kind of situation where it feels like the world is falling apart. And frankly, even since 2020, the world has just kept feeling like it's going to fall apart any day now.
0: What about prose? Are you following some iambic pentameter or is it narrative writing? Let's move to the text of your work.
1: Um, yeah, I, 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 it's, it's interesting because uh, I'm not sure myself whether to categorize the text as fiction or as poetry. Um, My publisher asked me what kind of literary awards I would want to be submitting this project to, and I wasn't sure myself. I do think of it as a poetic project, so I think that its entries are effectively prose poems.
0: So what about that line between fiction and reality? How much of the written text is fictionalized versus it being real?
1: Um, well, uh, I would say the, the setup, this uh, guide through hell and Nikita is fiction. Um, but as far as the episodes, there's about a third that's true a third that's maybe Dante, a, th- a third that's was happening in the world at the time. So a little bit of fact, fiction, a little bit of fact.
0: Point us and the New Books Network to your favorite shot in the entire book. What is it and do you have one?
1: Oh, huh. I, <laughs> I, I like all of it. I mean, I... You know, each entry is a is an image and a text. Um, I would say my favorite image is probably uh, I call it the orange lady, but I'm not sure what page it's on. I would have to look that up. Um, here, I'm shuffling because I'm looking. I would say my favorite is the entry from October 17. I consider it something of a, of a portrait.
0: What about cartography? You mapped out. What about cartography? You mapped out New York city, but how does that, um, compare with Dante's hell?
1: Oh yeah. That's a really cool question. So the, the thing is that Dante's hell has a really specific shape. Um, like uh numerous artists throughout the ages have have tried to like create a a cartography of dante's hell and and there's usually sort of tears and one is going descending further and further um so that doesn't quite fit new york city or its landscape um the cartography of this book is is really this diffuse, specific locations in New York, but a, a really diffuse experience because the narrator literally wanders through every borough of New York City. Um, so there's a little bit of, yeah, touching every part of the city.
0: Are you making appearances about your book outside of New Books Network? And where can people find more information, I guess, about you? Uh,
1: well, uh, so the book actually has a website of its own called Uh Yeah, I have been on tour in a number of places, um, including Malta and Norway. I, I just came back from Indiana and... Um, Will probably be so on that on the books website you can see where i've been so uh, so far and i'll probably be announcing new appearances um for the spring and the coming in the coming days um and it's also probably you can use it as a gateway for who i am as well you can kind of click through and read more about m- my own work. Um,
0: Something else I wanted to mention. Have you written or published before Voidopolis? And is any of that work relevant to your present research or studies?
1: Yeah, I. Uh, this is my first book. Uh, So that's been very exciting. (laughs) Uh, I've mostly, my writing has mostly been for live performance. So I've mostly, you know, my texts are performed rather than published usually. Um, And, uh, but I, you know, as I said, I, I do feel like this is a kind of performative digital object this book. So it has a bit of a kinship, although not directly related to the live performance work, writing that I do.
0: You were a presenter at TED Talks. What do you have to say about anything related to your book there? And what was your TED experience like?
1: Well, my TED talk is about how artificial intelligence is uh, performative and how it relates to puppets, and so you should definitely look it up. (laughs) And I, I think that in general, much of my work involves some kind of cutting-edge technology, so AI or augmented reality um feel like they're all on the table as far as not only making art with them but also you know analyzing them and critiquing critiquing such technologies and our use of them in society
0: any final thoughts for our audience
1: uh i guess i should mention that i'm working on a brand new live performance that involves, also involves language in an unusual way. it's an instrument that uh, uses sensors on a dancer's body to help them speak with as they're moving.
0: You listened to an original podcast recording of the New Books Network and your host, Nathan Moore. Our audience can thank Kat Mustatea for contributing an episode about her book, a first of its kind augmented reality book from a university press, MIT Press, titled Voidopolis. Until next time, we say farewell and don't forget to subscribe.